But, um, you know, I really wanted to see what your guys' thoughts were on how we can start building ourselves up as a, you know, more a trusted asset class and a trusted company. You know, we people really understand franchising. They know about it, but they've never had any like hands-on experience, you know, learning that much about it or actually being able to invest into it. So being something new, there's always like that uphill battle of education. So, you know, how do you guys approach becoming a trusted new investment vehicle? Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of Business Therapy, the show where every week, Jonathan and I meet live with professionals looking to get mindful advice on their business problems. Today on the show, we have Kenny Rose. Hey, Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your business, and the challenge you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Kenny Rose. I live in Chicago, Illinois. I'm the founder and CEO of Franchares. At Franchares, we let anyone invest into franchise ownership as as a new part of their investment portfolio. So instead of your traditional stocks, bonds, real estate, you can mix in franchise ownership with part of that and earn passive income, have equity in uh, kind of local businesses that you can actually see, touch, and feel. That's great. And what brings you onto the show today? You know, I uh, being a new asset class, it's a new thing to introduce to people. And, you know, with everything, you know, even crypto had its time where it was getting people to be more comfortable with it. Not that I want to be associated with that. I find that we're a, bit, a touch bit more in reality. But, um, you know, I really wanted to see what your guys' thoughts were on how we can start building ourselves up as a, you know, more a trusted asset class and a trusted company. You know, we people really understand franchising. They know about it, but they've never had any like hands-on experience you know, learning that much about it or actually being able to invest into it. So being something new, there's always like that uphill battle of education. So, you know, how do you guys approach becoming a trusted new investment vehicle? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say the first step is uh, for my benefit, particularly and the audience as well. Why don't you go ahead and spend a minute or two telling us more about what a franchise share is and the mechanics yeah. of it? Because uh, It sounds very fascinating, but I think starting there would probably uh, be worth the time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just like investing in shares of stocks, you get to be a partial owner in the company itself. And so as the company performs well, you get rewarded. In the sense of uh, stocks, it tends to be more appreciation in the share price. With the share of a franchise, you can invest as little as $500 and actually own into either a whole portfolio or a specific location of local franchises, whether that's the place that you go eat, uh, get your hair cut, go work out. Uh, they even have them in waste management, uh, clothing recycling, they have franchises for everything. And so when you own a share of that, you get uh, to earn both based on the performance of the franchises. So you get dividends uh, for them, as well as you know uh, equity in the company itself. So if we eventually sell the franchise, you'll be able to actually get you know a cash out, just like you're a mini angel investor. Um, just on a uh, you know smaller, more local scale. Okay, great. And and in terms of uh, your question, I assume like you you mentioned this is fairly new. Why don't you give us just a little bit of the historical context? Where did this? How did this, when did this come about? How did you get into it? Um, because especially it sounds like you're trying to introduce this or get more exposure. But uh, are you a year old? Is this whole idea like five years old? I guess give us give us a little of that backdrop. Yeah, well, I'll have to rewind it a bit. Uh, I originally got my career started off in financial services. I was a financial advisor over at Merrill Lynch, and I was doing it in San Francisco. So for one, you're very unwelcomed when you walk anywhere uh, in a suit. 
But also I started seeing that people were developing tech to put me out of my job. And so I started seeing robo-advisors coming up. And also just, uh, if you guys ever hung around like the uh, wirehouse uh, offices, it's not exactly Wolf of Wall Street, it tends to be more kind of doom and gloom. And uh, yeah, I just, it wasn't something I wanted to do in the long term. And so I uh, talked to a family friend, he's CEO of a company that coaches CEOs. So I'm like, oh yeah, great person to talk to about my next step. And he throws me an absolute curveball. And he's like, what do you know about franchising? Like, what do you know about franchise? I'm thinking McDonald's, Subway, Taco Bell. And he says, well, did you know my company's a franchise? And mind you, I've known him, I'd known him for five years probably at this point. I'm like, your company's a franchise? Like you coach CEOs. He's like, yeah, that's a franchise. And we have a bunch of franchisees. And so that was kind of my first aha moment. I'm like, wow, this franchise world's probably bigger than I thought. And that's a very big industry to like not know a ton about. And so he introduced me to the franchise brokerage world just like being a realtor or investment advisor for finding the right franchise. So, you know, I'd help people educate them on franchising, understand their budget, their skill set, and their goals, recommend specific franchises to research, and then coach them through that whole investment process. And so I did that for a number of years there, started off in biz development, eventually took over most of LA for them. And um, got to this point where uh, you know, a lot of the conventions are doing stuff that I came up with originally. Uh, they literally copy and pasted some of my emails into the corporate training manual. And I'm a co-author on an Amazon bestseller I don't get royalties for. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? I think I'm helping you more than you're helping me. Time to go spread my wings. And so uh, that's when I moved to Chicago, actually, and uh, started my own brokerage company called Sempia. And had a big focus on viewing franchising as an investment. You know, you think of like a super cuts. You walk in, the owner's not there cutting hair, working the front desk. They usually work somewhere else. They have a corporate job and they manage, they manage the manager there. And so I focused on these type of businesses while also trying to be educational and become a thought leader in the space. So um, I started off just doing whatever I could for free. So uh, are you guys familiar with Quora, uh, the question and answer website? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's like, when you Google anything, they tend to pop up real pretty quickly up there. And so I started just, yeah, I'd already been like checking out a bunch of things on there. Like, Why don't I start writing about franchising on here? So I started answering questions. And then um, one of them was actually, it was about how much Chick-fil-A costs. Uh, they ended up sending that to 40 million people. And I had a couple articles spawned off it from like The Hustle. And uh, then it also reached out to other journalists just for like general, if they have a question about franchising, I'm the guy to talk to them about that. And I uh, ended up getting featured in Forbes, ABC. And I actually had a whole uh, Business Insider article on my work in the industry last year. So all told, I reached over 300 million people without any ad spend. But throughout this whole time, I got a lot of the same complaints back, which was, hey, you know, I don't have a spare six or seven figures laying around to invest in one of these. Or even if they do, it's, you know, hey, I just want to work my job. I don't want to add more onto my plate or I don't even have the right skill set for it. So I started thinking more of like, well, why can't you view franchising as like a security and investment? And um, right around the same time I started having this idea, it was about six, seven years ago, and uh, Fundrise had uh, just raised their Series A funding. And Fundrise is equity crowdfunding into uh, commercial real estate. And uh, they had, I think, almost a billion in assets under management then. And so I saw this model. I started tearing it apart. I'm like, wow, I'm doing this for franchising. But wanted to build myself up as like a founder, you know, really be more trusted and credible. As you can tell, it's a big focus of mine. So I spent five years building all that up. And then 2020 hits. And I read an article that people, you know, everyone's locked in for quarantine. And I read an article that people are gambling on the stock market because sports aren't on. And I'm like, wow, they're literally begging for something to invest in. And they're like pouring money into crypto and JPEGs. I'm just like, oh my gosh, shut down the other brokerage, get franchise going. 
And so launched officially launched or uh, got formed uh, September 2020 and um, went and raised a, a pre-seed funding round led by Chicago Ventures. We raised uh, almost a million and a half. And Chicago Ventures is like the first checks in the cameo spot hero, M1 Finance. Like they're just unicorn after unicorn coming out of there. So I was very fortunate to get on board with them. And then uh, we officially launched about two months ago with our first portfolio. It's a 25 million portfolio that uh, we're all we're on the tail end of filling up. So it'll be nice to get that one all filled up and uh, move on to the next ones. And um, yeah, so, you know, again, getting uh, past that initial, what's this franchising thing? How is this possible? There's a lot of education there. And so we're trying to do everything we can to you know, go out and continue to be thought leaders and really just create this uh, market here. When you say a trust issue, clearly you must mean in the future, because it sounds like you've had a lot of trust come your way. <laughs> it's a very brief journey that you've had. Uh, yeah, that's true. The future, but also like, you know, as much as like I have reached a lot of people there, that's still different than who we're reaching now about uh, what we're doing with franchise. Like, yeah, you can go back and verify, uh, but still, you know, coming in with a warm feeling of like, oh, I'm super excited about this instead of uh, what is this thing? You know, like anytime you find some new type of investment and I understand I'm always guards up. I tend to be more of the pessimist sometimes where it's just like, oh, okay. Okay. Interesting idea. Where, what's the catch? And um, it's funny because even for this first portfolio, I kind of wish I didn't do it now, but uh, we went the no fee model where um, you know, coming from my experience in the brokerage space, you, uh, you know, you actually get paid by the franchisors when you work with them because it's so hard to find a franchisee for all the reasons I mentioned. And so you can literally skip working with a broker, go straight to the franchise, same investment amount. So I set up franchises as the brokerage, our fund is the franchisee and just referred to ourselves. So we put up a huge investment into the portfolio that doesn't come from the investor. So it's non-dilutive. But I have to explain that every time instead of just saying, oh, we charge 1%. <laughs> so I feel like I, I was trying to do something nice to kind of backfired a little bit because I have to explain that even more. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess where... Go, Sam. I was going to say then, and where, and we're getting closer to it now, where is some of the tension? Like you said, it seems you're, you're very well thought out the model and like explaining to people. And it seems like there's a lot of uh, the people, I guess, who are in the know seem to understand fairly quickly, mm -hmm. but you're saying, uh, where is the resistance you're feeling right now? Or where's the problem as you're identifying it where you're talking to people and they're just not having it, or people just can't understand it. Or where's the lack of trust kind of showing up today in like your physical space? It's that word new. And so, like, you know, I get a ton of people like, I love this model. I love you. I love the franchise you're investing in, but this is new. And so they'll do like a much smaller investment just to test the waters, which I, I, I also encourage at the same time. But like, you know, our average intended check size was much different than what we're getting because they're like, oh, I want to spread it out across a couple of them or see how you do with this one. And, you know, we really want to get more of the uh, higher volume and higher velocity of investors there. Hmm. And and you've gone to them and you've had challenges. Um, yeah, I'd say there's definitely some. We're like, you know, we're we're also for this fund. We're doing new locations of existing brands, and so like you know, they have 300, 600 locations out there. But um, you know, we're doing new ones for those existing brands instead of just investing into something that's already up and running. Because frankly, like when you when you try and find those, you end up paying an absurd amount for it. And then uh, because you, you're paying the market for someone else's work. And then if you try and get into like this 
brand. Like, you know, if you want to go grab a McDonald's, you know, you can't open one in Chicago. They've been sold out here for decades versus you find those ones that are between 100 and 1,000 locations. You start new locations. That's where you really make money. But I run to people who are like, well, I want to cat, I want to get cash flow immediately. And you know, I'm not, I'm not like a snake oil says, but like, oh yeah, you'll start cash flowing right away. You know, I tell them there's a ramp up time. And then um, you know, the other part is just like uh making sure that they're confident in our operators and uh, you know, again, just at their new locations. They hear new and they it sounds scary, but it's like, oh, they've also done this hundreds of times before. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the is the is the issue that you have all the people and the people you're talking to are just not they're not biting or is as much as you feel like it's hard to even get people in the room because of it i guess like in in trying to hone in around where you're actually seeing the problem i'm trying to the, the question i'm trying to articulate is is it more of a marketing challenge or is it more that you just can't convert people um, or is it both i suppose it's a com i'd say it's more about the uh, conversion well because one thing I, I forgot to mention is with this first portfolio we can only work with accredited investors so that's either having a million net worth or having certain income or if you're like a uh, licensed securities person um once we do open it up for everyone else we actually have a wait list of thirty-seven thousand people that are not accredited so once once we do open it up we see that coming in pretty hot but you know for like all these accredited guys um, we have a good amount of them, but it's both like the rate of conversion. It's not bad. I'm just, I always want to make it better. But then also the uh, average check size, like right now it's probably 26, 27,000 per investor. And, you know, we think it should be a lot higher than that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, also there's just plenty who are like sitting on the sidelines, just like, all right, I want to see how this pans out and hop in the next one. Yeah. And in that sense, do you feel that that will actually occur or there's something you want to because like the the question that you're posing is could i be more proactive as other things i could be doing because to a certain extent based on your timeline and how new you are I, I would love to get your thoughts on with this first portfolio if it does pan out tremendously or it pans out even you know moderately would that be something that would engender trust in new conversations going forward or do you think that really has little to do with it oh once we have a track record the world's our oyster i have no concerns about that um yeah once we start showing the returns that's that's what people need to see is that proven track record um but i think a lot of it is uh you know converting these people who are again like sitting on the sidelines like waiting to see how it comes like Honestly, we start getting even more and more traction once we start announcing that we have more money in there and stuff too, because no one likes being the first checks, but they love being the last one. And so it's just kind of like grinding it out with uh, people who've been waiting. It's like, hey, you've been waiting. Now's the time, you know, and like we're, we're keeping them up to date with stuff. But like, you know, it's hard to get that last now or never type thing, especially when you don't know when the like once we hit our 25 million and that's it. But, you know, we we. uh just can't necessarily say, hey, this is when it's going to end because, frankly, if we don't fill it, we're going to keep keep it open. So, yeah. Can, yeah. Could you explain more about the accredited and and the and the target group? And and the reason is, you you're trying to do two major things. Obviously, build trust in a new company and get people to adopt a change. Yeah. And both of them have very you know specific ways that you could address it but there is a strong element of who your audience is mm -hmm. and if your audience is if you're if you if that's a constraint because you have to only go for one specific audience obviously that changes your uh the flexibility for approaches that you could take so just if you could explain that a little bit more yeah so um you know with the audience it's definitely tougher to find the right ones you know people who have money tend to avoid uh being in places where people can solicit them uh, for, for valid reason. And so it, it's about finding the right ones in the right place at the right time. 
uh, you know, obviously, like, there's also a lot less millionaires now than there were four months ago. And so that's definitely something that uh, took it. It's like, you know, you could, like the uh, limitations for accreditation, if you're not a millionaire, it's that you have to make 200000 if you're single or 300000 if you're married, uh, you know, filing jointly. And um, so the way uh, we have it is that, you know, people might have been making 150, 180 a year, have done very well and saved and invested, right? But then all of a sudden, this crazy first half of the year happened and they're not millionaires anymore. And so, um, you know, it, it's a combination of like finding the right ones and converting them and also like just seeing as a really stable long-term investment. And you need a certain amount of those people before the 37,454 people can come in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that'll be for our next offering. Our next offering, we know how to make it available for everyone else. And uh, this one was just taking too long dealing with the SEC to uh, wait for it to get out there. Like we put down deposits with the franchisors, like we, we were getting this thing ready to go. So it's, we it was okay. Let's do it accredited investors only first, and then the next one we can do for everyone else. And you know, even as we do open up for everyone else, we want to make sure that we are converting as many of these people as possible. So it's still goes back to the same messaging of like trust and how to uh, you know really convert at a high level and high velocity. Okay. And as far as your interface to establish that trust, is it typically one conversation is the only shot you have? Or are you talking over email? Like what ends up being the interface typically? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's a combination of the website and email. Like when people sign up, they'll obviously start getting a drip campaign to educate them about us, about franchising. Uh, when they go to the website, if um, you know, you're accredited and you're able to view the investment, we try and be as educational as possible. I realize that I might have overdone it, where you know you come in at first, it's very high level, cool. Here's a little bit about the franchises, but the majority of the way that you learn is um, I recorded a video where I go through the entire pitch deck for it, and. Uh, you know, beforehand, like from January until the launch, I had at least 500 one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who were on the wait list, 15 minutes at a time, because I wanted to learn like, how do you find us? Why do you like us? What questions will you have about this? And so like, I put a lot of that into this 26 minute video. And so it's like, when people, uh, you know, I still open up my calendar for one-on-ones for those who are like interested and need to know more. And when they sign up, I even say, go watch the video first. And so it's like, I'm happy to talk to you, but go spend the time to watch this video. And when they watch it, they're like, that explains a ton. But I feel like it's too much to do in text, but like the video's too long. We're thinking about maybe breaking it up into some more things, but also like, do people watch enough video for it? Or is it, do I need to do text? There's just different ways where like, I need to make sure that message is easier to digest. So I think 26 minutes is a lot for people to commit to. <laughs> It, is it also possible, though, and and I'm um, keep coming back to the same uh, question, to segment your, you know, who your profile is? Like, is there is can you further narrow down that audience um, so that you can hone the message? Because there's so many good reasons, I'm sure, to 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 invest uh, in in the franchise, but um, a lot of it becomes noise. I don't, you know, unless this audience 26 minutes is normal for them, but like, yeah. I have to imagine that. You know, for most people to adopt, the more tailored it is to the audience, the more likely they'll they'll hear it and not, not hear the noise. Yeah. Um, so it's more about like how do we? Uh, how, how do you get more specific on who you target? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, like we've got it between like accredited investor and non-accredited right now. I mean, you also have like kind of limited information about them until they start going through the process. Like as they start signing up, then we learn more. 
But um, uh, yeah, until then, it's basically like, line. Uh, yeah, can you afford it? Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you for answering a ton of questions because it's yeah. very interesting uh, space. But I think I'm, I'm kind of, I, I feel like I've got a better picture now. And if I, I want to pivot more into talking about the whole trust thing, mm -hmm. because now it sounds like the interaction that we're, you know, is your scope of how do I build more trust is really a lot of, like you just said, you have people who are interested for whatever reason or for, through your marketing funnels and they're coming to the website. There's a ton of educational content there and that's the conversation, right? So if you look at it as building trust as you have that one interaction, which is they come to the website, there might be an email campaign where they're absorbing, but it's really just text material that they're absorbing is your, yeah. is your vehicle to create trust. And I think that's, it, it's, it's tough, but it's not impossible, certainly. And like, yeah, if that's yeah. the scalable solution, then you got to think, okay, well, that's how, this is the only way it's scalable. I can't have one-on-one -on -one calls, obviously, yeah. with everybody. I can't build trust in like a traditional sales-oriented type of way where I'm like having real conversations with people. Hmm. But I think some of the lessons, like it, it really, the, the root problem then is how do you take the authenticity and the relationship building potential of a sales interaction in a more traditional sense mm -hmm. and then build it at scale. So like, as we approach the conversation, I think that's where at least my mind's going um, to the challenge that you're actually facing. Because I think, like you said, you have the education there. And this is where I'll, I'll press one more question because I'm just making an assumption. So maybe you can help me with your website and the 26 minute video and the content. I assume it's mostly about the product and about the process if they want to engage, is that right? Yeah, but we also go to like background on like myself, our team, the company, things like that too. But in essence, yeah. Yeah. So one thing I would say, and that's totally reasonable. I just wanted to make sure that was what was on there. And I wasn't yeah. making much of an assumption. I think a lot of times when you talk about the building trust and I'll, when you have a, like a conversation with somebody, there's some factors that I think about when I think about like a mindful interaction, which is, you know, making it contextualized for the person. So answering like, what is it that they're struggling with individually at that moment? And how are you addressing a concern or like an actual problem that they have? Because mm -hmm. the problem people have with a new product is typically not, how do I use this new product or what is it? Like the problem you're really trying to answer is, is it financial insecurity? Is it they don't have other asset classes they can invest in? Are they worried that nothing else they're dabbling in will pan out? Like, why are they here? Like, why are they talking to you? And I think that comes out much more quickly probably when you're having a conversation with somebody who's asking yeah. about what is the product and like, but really what they're asking is, can this product meet one of my unmet investing needs? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It brings up something. I think I, I feel like we, uh, we have a slide in there for it, but I feel like I kind of glaze over. I was, I almost feel like I was like, well, you're here, you're interested. I didn't really harp more on like um, why they're there. Cause I figured they probably know why they're there and I didn't want to, Honestly, I, I worry about being too salesy when you start going into that. And so, you know, I just want to try and like walk a fine line. And so I was basically trusting just like, hey, you know what? You probably know why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's where, and you can assume that. And I think this is where a lot of people, like the sentiment that you're articulating, I think is the right one. You want to avoid traditional sales, like targeting methods where you're like, what is the problem they likely have? And let me hit it really hard. Hmm. But trust to me, at least, um, and I think it's the, like, you know, the, the business therapy model is it's about authenticity and it's about being totally transparent and as honest as possible. Mm. Like if you think about those three dimensions about how can you, Kenny, get a message across that's authentic and represents you and your team? How can you be as most transparent, like into what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it? 
And then how can you be honest about, you know, how it works and why it works this way? Um, and if you look at that in a conversation that's easier and like an exchange of information that you're talking about, they certainly will probably know why they're approaching it. And you don't have to harp on it, but do you know why? And is that the point in which you're starting the conversation through your email drip and through like the way that your information is being displayed, right? And and yeah. I think yeah. that's going to drive us naturally to where Jonathan and I usually go, which is why Fran shares, why this asset class, like what is your purpose here? Like, and that that I'll actually throw to you to answer, like, why are you interested in getting this message out there? Why do you want this to be an asset class that people can invest in? Mm-hmm. Um Great question. Multiple different answers. You know, for one, it's diversification. Like you should never have all your eggs in one basket. And people are finding out the hard way the last few months why that's the case. It's good to be in other asset classes that perform differently against the market. Um, another is uh, passive income. I think it's it's one that I definitely hear all the time from investors where you know they don't want to work forever, but they also don't want to drastically reduce their lifestyle. It's they want to start stacking up multiple income streams that over time. And then um, another thing is that they it's something where people have always, I feel like a lot of them have been curious about it. Like they've seen franchise, they've heard about them. They just have never had the ability to get involved in any capacity. And so it's also that like that, um, the investment that never was that they always wanted to make. So th- those are the big ones. It's um, diversification, passive income, and uh, just want, you know? Mm-hmm. And just staying with with trust um, before getting to to purpose a little bit more, I'm I'm coming back to it one more time. The building universal trust out there is very, very difficult only because people don't trust for a variety of reasons. And and there's no one person is the same. I totally agree with what Sam's saying. There's only one approach that has a universal way of of creating trust, and that's being as transparent and honest as possible. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on that, that will ultimately build trust. Yeah, but I think we're also talking about control a little bit because, in in a trust scenario, people fully trust you. It's because they they your known quantity. They know what they're going to get, and based on that information, a lot of people might decide they don't want to invest. You mm-hmm. know, not because they don't trust you, but because they do trust that your information is accurate, and it just doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to convert, so we just want to distinguish between the objective of creating trust and the and the the objective of control or controlling a result. Um, because if you're trying to do both at the same time, you often harm the former. Because if somebody believes that your interest or your perspective is, is from converting them as opposed to giving them something that's going to be good for them, it's yeah. a subtle difference, but it makes uh, it it harms trust. So that that's a great point. Honestly, like I'm always trust first. Like you hear me say, like um, transparency is definitely like the number one thing that we aim for. Well, it's transparency and communication. And so we definitely want to emulate that. But yeah, the focus has definitely not been on like hard conversion metrics. Like, yes, I want to fill it, but also like I want people, pe- I don't want people pressured into one investment. I want them investing in franchising for decades. So like that that could be part of it. I'm more laissez-faire about the conversion thing. I guess I want them to, but I'm not going to twist their arm no, about it. No, no. We we think your approach is more sustainable. We actually think that that's yeah. because it, otherwise it's the vagaries of what resonated at a particular moment, your trust and credibility that can sustain all the time because you mm. always know how to do that. Yeah. So we definitely think focus on that. But if you if there is a way to identify more about who your audience is or control to whom you're sending the message, you probably can get a lot more specific on how you build trust with that particular audience. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, and if 
if there's this period of time before that, I don't know how many people you need to convert accredited investors, you know, to be able to hit a certain target. But then that also is just a pure numbers game. You know, it's like if I don't know what the universe of them are, but if you just keep doing these calls, at some point you'll hit that number. You know, yeah. it might not be as fast as you'd like, but you know, that that's a clear path. Uh, but whatever path gets you to being able to look behind the veil of who these people are as soon as possible, then it's much easier to have an approach to trust and adopt and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that might be like, because everyone has different reasons and, you know, so trying to speak to one, it can be a little tough, but I think it's definitely something that maybe we don't do enough of is, uh, you know, kind of narrowing down and make sure we're taking in why they signed up and what their goals were, which might be part of our sign up. I know we've been through a couple iterations. I have to go back and check, but yeah, if they're checking uh passive income, then just harping on that a lot more as we're reaching out and like kind of building trust on like how we're able to do that and why it's sustainable. Yeah. As, so, as someone, let's say, I'm going to just make the last point on this. As someone who's pitched change many times, I know I tend to get so excited in the solution that I'm offering that I want to give them all the dimensions of how great it is. Mm. And ultimately that just becomes noise. Yeah. You know, so because it's something new so that you're over, you have to create enough energy to overcome inertia and for them. And you can't do that if you're giving them every reason. So, mm. but yeah. Yeah. In. yeah. And I was just going to say this conversation around the theme of, like the honest and the authenticity. And like you said, transparency um, and absolutely, you know, you even brought up a few points. If you challenge yourself as a startup, especially in the, in the, you know, capital, like the investment market space or the financial space, it sounds like the focus and you said, let's avoid a traditional sales paradigm. But a lot of what we, what product companies do is they put out a ton of transparent or honest information on the product and they feel like they're doing that. But, you know, if you really think, how do I create more authenticity, more honesty, there's this sort of counterintuitive balance of, well, as a startup, I want to appear credible by appearing established or appearing like here's everything to know about the product. But in fact, that is actually dishonest in a way because it's a new product. Yeah. Like you don't need to establish credibility by pretending you're doing or knowing like the honest conversation you want to have with people to establish trust, especially in a startup scenario or like when you're creating a new thing is bring them into the real conversation, which is hey, everyone, we're filling our first round and we're hoping we get some traction or really get some momentum after this round because we can prove success. Like, do you want to be a part of that? You know, we're moving into like opening this up to new things. Do you want to be a part of that? Like a lot of the startup uh, way to build authenticity is part of an early stage journey and we want you to be a part of it. And then you're you're attracting people who want to be early adopters who want to help you succeed or who even want to give you feedback um, versus like, you know, feeling like you have to put up this front that like, here's the product, here's everything you know about it. It's very well thought out. It's a perfect product. Uh, when in reality, you know, I think you'd, you'd engender a lot more authenticity in early conversations by bringing people into your journey, talking through what you're talking about on the show, like you're doing very eloquently right now, but mm-hmm. exposing that in your trip campaigns, exposing where you are in your life cycle, making your company a real entity so that yeah. people are connecting with the product that you're trying to push on their desk, but the actual journey of getting franchise shares as an asset class. And an asset class that's lucrative, lucrative for the reasons you mentioned, diversification, better vehicle for passive income, and have that conversation with your with your uh, with your tribe. And I think in that way, you'll engender a lot more trust just because that's the real conversation that you want to have with the market instead of putting up kind of a front. 
Yeah, I really like that. And it kind of uh, really blends to something that we've been talking internally about more recently is that you know, we want to make it like an exclusive club. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you want to be like in with the gang and we're trying to think more about like, how do we do that? And I think you guys really had something great about like connecting them more to the journey. Cause we've talked about it. We haven't really like harped on it. You know, I think it, I've talked about like what our fundraising journey was like, but not so much like their place in it and where we go in the future from here. So that definitely makes a ton of sense. And, yeah. and if it changed, yeah. go Sam. You talk about honesty and that's the, that's the tricky part of it because like, being honest is kind of, you're being really honest with us right now. And mm. we're having a fantastic conversation. Like I would trust franchisees just because you and I are having a real person conversation, but there is no reason you can't scale that with your marketplace. And yeah. that's exposing you and your team, exposing the challenges of what you're trying to put together. And I think you're talking about creating trust. That's where people start to trust you when mm. you actually let them into your life, figure out what's going on. And that's that sort of conscious connection. Love it. That makes a ton of sense. And when you had mentioned, you know, there's not as many millionaires or it's hard to get people who are already investing, it, when you're just focused on what the honest, you know, the honest answer is, it changes maybe even who the profile is. So I was, I was focusing on trying to figure out who the profile is, but if you're being honest, you don't actually know fully with something new, what's going to resonate with who. Mm -hmm. And then like Sam said, there's a possibility that it's people who really like, you know, being in on the new thing, you know, and, and investing in the new thing. But you can't figure that out if you've already determined who they are without knowing who they are. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I really like that. Well, and also like in terms of the tactical, like you mentioned it, I think you, you said it really well, diversification and kind of being part of something new or just the whole, the passive income thing. When people show up on the site, instead of blasting them with like, here's everything you need to know about the process and the product, like that is the person to person conversation. Are you looking for diversification? Like that one even is like everyone kind of, a lot of investors know like, hey, we wanna be able to diversify, but yeah. like more like, hey, are you looking to diversify into something that can create you more passive income than the average investment? If so, go here and you can kind of route them. Cause like I said, that's sort of segmenting people based on their why, based on the actual problem that they may be trying to address and coming to your site versus assuming that they want your product and educating about the product but kind of having those conversations and having those pathways to conversation in your interface, which is, or are you just looking to get into something new or be part of this journey? Like, you know, we've been saying too, that could be a thing. And then you can talk about that part of the company or like why this franchise and you think it's going to become an incredible asset class for people that has consistent returns or like, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I think starting the conversation like you would with a real person, which is what are you looking for and how could I help you? Let them tell you what they're looking for and then route them through the information you have in a way that would simulate a person-to-person -person conversation because that's that's a way to scale that sort of trust building that you would do in real life through digital means yeah no it makes a lot of sense so like even if like they're onboarding coming through the uh waitlist sign up and so it's like oh i'm checking for looking for diversification and kind of like a different flow through for uh, after that based on what they told us yeah, because I think that's that's sort of the intelligent automation, like from a process perspective, it's kind of instead of having a per, like a one to one with 37, 400 people, you know, 37,000 people, you're letting them guide the conversation. You know, you have the information. You could have every one of those conversations. So let your system, let your website, let your marketing have that conversation with people, address their concerns, address why they should be going with you. And I think the people who have different concerns can kind of somehow interact with you and tell you that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one-on-one, -on -one, but you want to nurture that versus like you talked about not wanting to get into the traditional sales traps. 
just having the product page is sort of the traditional sales uh, mentality. Just like, here's information about the product. We assume you want it because this is a great product and here's everything you need to know about it. But most people now, you you know, especially in this marketplace where people are creating new asset classes, they're creating more, you know, creative ways to invest. The trust is going to come from knowing that you're a real person and that you have their best interest in mind and letting them have that conversation with you. Mm. I love that. That makes a ton of sense. And the transparency carries over to, like, I loved what you said about like owning a piece of something that's much more tangible, especially in an environment where people are seeing paper money just totally evaporate. And then they start thinking, I don't even know where that money was. Like, I don't even fully understand what that money was about Mm. when I think about it. But here you're saying I could point to your money, you know? So, you know, and and for some people that might, um, as an example, that might be the thing that actually resonates above all else, you know? So you'd be surprised. I mean, we're all surprised sometimes why people do what they do. And sometimes it's not for the reasons that we think are the best reasons, but, you know, that authentic energy that came from you, like immediately resonated in that way. Yeah. Community driven too. You know, when you talked about, you can invest in actual local businesses, like Jonathan's saying, that's like a mission oriented, that's a community driven thing. And I think that makes people, that really turns people on. I mean, it does for me personally, when I know money could actually flow into businesses in my community and be an investment the vehicle or an asset for me, like you're starting to create a mission around synergizing with the local community or the local marketplace. And I think that's really impactful for people and let them have that conversation with you, because I think that's really part of your, where you could create a sustainable ecosystem that's better for your investors, but also better for the world. And uh, I I think, you know, we always say lean into those conversations because then also you're going to cultivate more conscious investors who really want, will have more of a relationship with, with the product. Yeah. I, um, it's definitely something that we want to focus on a lot more is the community side of it. It's that like starting off with this one, like it's a nationwide portfolio. So it's like hard to make it more community driven when it's not like a Chicago fund. Like once we do those, then it's a whole different ballgame. But until then, it's kind of hard to drive the community aspect of your community being you live in the U.S. <laughs> True. But Jonathan's point, I think it is really exciting to me in terms of what you guys could do to be innovative and have more transparency is where is the going how is that business doing you invest in this franchise i don't know the nuance of the product but is it possible like how that franchise is doing live you know or have updates on where the how the investment is actually being applied what's going to toward because i think that would be a fascinating way to drive engagement yeah so we do plan on doing that they're going to get at least monthly updates and even besides the financial stuff like who have we hired where we broken ground on what's some cool stories that happened at some of the locations and so we definitely want to develop that more so again we've got like Big after this first fund, everything's great afterwards. Just like filling the first fund is definitely the toughest part. You know, it, it's the uphill battle of uh, you know, showing proof of concept. But your objectives and how you're marketing that first versus the second are are different. Yeah, it's it's it becomes very different. One because we can work with more people besides just the accredited investors. The other is we get to point to the last one and say, hey, this isn't our first one. We'll give these assets under management. We have that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's, and and like we've been saying, I think getting a lot of the energy of this conversation, I think you sell it really well. You've already done the hard part. I mean, like you said, you've almost filled out that first round. I mean, it's exciting. It's really exciting. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think sharing that excitement uh, with the people who are following you and interested and on the wait list is, is uh, that's where trust comes from, feeling like you're a real person. I mean, that's the simple answer. Like if I had to come back around to when you came on the show, it was like, 
how do I create more trust with people? I think a good analogy is how do you create trust with people in your network? How do you create trust with your personal and your familial relationships? You know, and there's no secret to it. I think we're all human beings. And that's the one thing that we forget a lot of the time across, you know, the internet, across the building trust with people is always going to be the same. It's always going to be how much can you actually have a personal relationship with them and help them understand like how they can meet a need or form this idea of reciprocity. Like if you want to have somebody trust you, you need to, in every interaction, give them something they're looking for, for the energy of them coming to talk to you or coming to interface with you. And I think, you know, I'm speaking very broadly right now, but you know, those are the mechanics of the process of building relationships between human beings. So whether you do it across, you know, coffee, or you do it across a website interaction or an email drip campaign, the fundamentals of what makes us want to trust and what makes us want to spend more time with each other is, is what we've been talking about. Reciprocity, the, the chance to build reciprocity in some way, and then that honesty and that authenticity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty much, you know, we're just trying to apply that to your situation. But when you start looking at it that way, it should hopefully clarify. And then you can also apply that logic to a lot of situations, I think. Yeah, I'm just just really good at building it when we speak one-on-one and it's just harder to, you can't really translate that onto website text as much. Like, I I think that's my big concern. So it's like, oh, then do you throw more videos out there or are people even really going to care about that? Which I I think they would if they watch them and then, okay, so how do you convert people who are not watching videos and building that? Which I think you guys hit on a lot here with like, you know, being more open about like where we are, the journey that we've done, where we're going, all that stuff. Yeah. And creating those tools for interactivity on the website, like, you know, just the simple pathing based on what people might be looking for, breaking down the information. Like you said, the 26 minute video, you're aware that that's a lot to take on. So break it into chunks and then make those like the whole idea of monetization, especially now in the current digital market, breaking things into smaller packets of information that are more tailored or people can pick the experience they want is kind of a way to make uh, digesting information more palatable. So you could also articulate it that way, which is if I'm going to have 26 minutes of what I think is applicable content, how do I break into two minute chunks and then have it so that they can answer a few questions on the website and the modules can be constructed in the order of relevancy to a particular person. That's the way that you take like website text and you start creating a process that has some basic intelligence and just through form answers, just through them filling in a form and then you give them, well, like you should watch video two, seven, and twelve because it's going to give you who is interested in passive income and being part of a startup scenario and like being part of the journey, the tidbits of information that are relevant to you. And obviously, you know, I'm just kind of, but the concept. Hopefully, that highlights the concept. I don't know if that would be possible on your website, but when we talk about making it more interactivity, more, um, you know, more tailored to the person, it's really just taking the content you already have and maybe just form fitting a little bit to have that conversation. So when people come, they feel like they're having a real interaction with you and they're talking about their personal situation because that, that, that generally from a process perspective should drive your conversion and also force you to think about what would, what would a real conversation look and feel like in this space right now for a person mm-hmm. who'd be interested or on our wait list, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, I think we'll definitely have to go back and revisit kind of the onboarding and segmenting and just, uh, get more granular with it. Great. Well, Jonathan, do you have a comment? No, I was just, and it, the one-on-one conversations, that's not scalable to get to the goal you need to get to. No. Okay. In the first round. Got it. Yeah. I mean, mean, like we can do it for the first round, but eventually like, you know, I can't have tens of thousands of conversations. 
oh, but you can do it for the first round. And then after the first round, you can get tap into the broader market. Yeah, yeah. So once after the first round, then we can open it up to everyone else on the wait list. And- so I, I would just suggest just, just because the, the profile that you need right now is such a major constraint and the possibilities, it really does sound like the possibilities are just amazing mm-hmm. after this first round. And then you can definitely start you know, focusing your energy a lot better. You might need to just think about it as this is my objective right now, just getting through these you know, to this first round. And I, this is where I'm going to put 90%, 99% of my energy, yeah. you know, hit that, hit it. And then, and then after that, I'll worry about scale. Mm-hmm. Like, so, because th- to me, it sounds like once you lower that, uh, the, the, the focus to a specific, you know, specific audiences, then everything is much easier. Yeah. But right now I, I, it might be that this is where you need to put most of your energy. Mm-hmm. You know, on the one-on-ones because it's oh yeah, we've we've definitely been doing incredibly that. Incredibly successful. Be, yeah, it's going to be a continued thing for sure. Because honestly, it's like once I get on a call with someone, then we're like, they're super excited. They're coming in. It's just again that I, what I'm saying is that's not scalable past fund one. So I just right, right, but there, but there's such a such a major difference between qualitatively between what will happen after the first round, because then you don't need to worry about the the big institutional, you know. And you know the 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 accredited uh, uh, individuals. So mm-hmm. it just sounds to me yeah. I break this those two up. I wouldn't conflate that, conflate them. Well, and and just the yeah, and and to add, especially with the one on one conversations, when we say they're not scalable, and this is kind of some of the focus I think to help you think about you know how I think about scaling this stuff. You the process of having a one on one conversation, it can be scaled through digital means. Um, yeah. And that's, that means distilling the essence of what's happening in those conversations. It could be even getting waivers for having 10 or 15 minute interviews with several of your customer personas and posting them. Here's a live conversation with a person that you had and you answered their questions and you ease their concerns. Let people watch that. Or like I said, look at the, like in those interviews, doing a postmortem on each of those conversations that go well, what are the questions people are asking? What are the, like, that's the fodder for the real process, the real scalability of the process, mm-hmm. right? It's not about did you get on the phone with somebody for 30 minutes and talk about the product the entire time? It's what are the questions they asked? What were they concerned about? Those are the learnings. Those are the things you write down. That was the process of communication that had the successful outcome and yeah. distilling that into a digital process or the text or the talking points or the video points. That's the scalability aspect. So you look at every one of those one-on-ones right now during this first phase as process data for you to understand what is the effective process and then how do I scale the communication and the and the points that engender trust during that conversation uh, through all your other assets. Yeah, and honestly, that was the point of like, what we did with the first video was I, I was taking things like, you know, what are they curious about? What are they harping on? And uh, trying to scale, I think just uh, like I said, breaking it down into smaller videos will probably do us a lot better. And yeah. uh, maybe seeing how we can expand that text to really resonate with uh, people's specific personas definitely help a lot more. Cool. Well, we're getting close to time here at the end of our session. I, uh, I know we've talked about a lot and you've given us a lot of awesome information about what you're up to. Do you have, uh, how are you feeling right now? I guess, how is everything tracking? I feel great. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely been super helpful. I'm excited to start uh, putting some of this into motion. Great. And then do you have any last minute burning questions or comments for us or the audience? No, I'm just uh, glad I could come on board and get some great advice from you guys. This has been great. Awesome. Well, I will say it's been fascinating to learn about uh, what you're doing here with FranShares. Um, we really appreciate your time on the show this week. And for anyone listening, 
If you have any comments or questions for us or Kenny, feel free to use the comment section. If you or anyone you know would love to come on the show, we'd love to have you. 